You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. looks for another tactic that he can use to keep us from accomplishing that which God has called you to do. God has called each of you with a purpose. He's called each of you for something to do, something to serve him. He's called you with that. It's your job to seek him, pray, read his word, and find out what that is. But God will strengthen you and help you do this. But he never stops doing that. He wants to keep you from doing what God has chosen you to do, even confusing your mind. I really don't know what God wants me to do. No, God has a perfect plan for you. Sit before Him and listen. Do you know what God is calling you to do? God has a purpose for your life that you can walk in every day. The enemy is going to try and confuse you, just like he did Nehemiah, who was called to do great things. In today's message, Pastor Dave will teach you the battle tactics that Nehemiah used to stay centered in his purpose. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Nehemiah chapter 5 as he begins his message, Trouble from Within. Hope you found your place in Nehemiah 5. Let's pray. Father God, as we now come before you and open your word, I pray, Lord, that you would settle our hearts. I pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts, open our ears to hear what your spirit is speaking to us today through the words in these scriptures. There's a lot to learn, a lot that we can pick up, even though we consider it Old Testament. In my heart, there's nothing old in the Bible. It's all relevant for today. It's all current for today. And we can look at it. We can glean from it. We can apply it to our lives. And you've given us everything we need for life and godliness through Jesus Christ. So thank you, Lord, for these times. We ask, Lord, that it would be fruitful. And, Lord, that we would just continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Be glorified here today in Jesus' name. Amen. So we studied chapter 4. And opposition arose against Nehemiah. And those Jews who were helped to rebuild the walls and the gates of Jerusalem. If you remember that Nehemiah basically was sent by the Lord to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild its walls and its gates. He had a very important position with King Artaxerxes. He was the cupbearer. And he had an in with Artaxerxes. And the Lord put it upon his heart to ask if he could go back and do this project. Artaxerxes allowed him. The Lord guided him. And so here he is. But as they started to build the wall, as in any work of God, any time you step out in faith to work for God, whether it be the outreach, whether it be teaching a Sunday school class or nursery or whatever you might do, opposition will arise. And that's what happened. They were building the walls. The walls were half done, but opposition started to come towards them. Why? Our enemy, our adversary, doesn't want God to succeed in anything, let alone have you succeed and give God glory. He doesn't want anything like that. So he comes against us in all different ways, in all different types. So we read that. These nations that surround it, Jerusalem, Sam Ballot and of the and Tobiah and those guys, 
got together and they began to harass the Jews as they were working. The first thing they did, remember, is they ridiculed them. They called them names. They made fun of them. They made fun of their style. They made fun of the way they built. They made fun of what they built. They made fun of everything they did. They ridiculed them. They made fun of their abilities to even finish the job that God had called them to do. When that didn't work, they switched to intimidation. They began to threaten them. They would tell other people that we're going to attack the Jews. We're going to get them. And this intimidated those who were building the wall, and they became fearful. From intimidation, they came to attacking and threatening in full force. They said, we have an army here. And they would put their army out so people could see them. And this was intimidating them. The pressure and the thought of an attack began to get the people fearful. And they became discouraged and they became afraid. But Nehemiah, being the incredibly great leader he is, rose to the occasion. And he spoke encouraging words to the assembly. He said, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord great and awesome and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. I love the order that he put that in. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome who is fighting this battle for you. And you now fight for your, each other, your brethren. Fight for your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. I like that order. The Lord first recognize that he is awesome and great, and he is in control, and he is in charge. And I love in verse 4, 15, let's read that. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. So the plan didn't work. God had made it known to everyone that the plan's not going to work. They became, they went back. You can almost hear a sigh of relief in Nehemiah's voice. It's like, yeah, we're going to get back to work. The mission that God had sent us on is going to be accomplished. And I think it's important that we look at it that way. So they began to work in earnest. They even included shift work. Some would work during the night, and some would work during the day. Those that did not work were armed and kept watch. Those that didn't work kept watch and look out to see if anybody was indeed going to attack. I love that. That's really cool. They carried weapons to defend the city. Some of them had an arrow or a bow slung on their shoulder and worked on the wall, and they were ready just in case. So they were doing a little bit of both. Nehemiah had a plan. Nehemiah had a plan. He said, the one who sounded the trumpet, there was a guy who was close to Nehemiah, and he had a shofar, which is nothing but a ram's horn, and it's a trumpet. And he was close to Nehemiah. And if the people were going to attack, he told them, if you hear the trumpet, rally at a certain point. And then Nehemiah, the great encourager he is, the great leader he is, says this, our God will fight for us. If God be on our side, who can be against us? This is a great quote. This should lift up anybody who's trusting in the Lord. And I can see the men going, yeah. And they're like, yeah, we can do this. Let's get to work. They had great confidence. They had great encouragement. It was just what the people needed to hear. So Nehemiah not only organized the workers and the guards, but he also encouraged them to trust in the Lord. This is what a leader does. Encourages the people who are in his midst, the people who are following him, to seek the Lord, to trust in the Lord, to hope in the Lord, to put all your faith in the Lord. And what I love about Nehemiah is he served right alongside of these guys. Remember I said that Nehemiah never asked anyone to do 
what he wasn't willing to do himself. So Nehemiah helped build the wall right alongside these guys. He didn't stand back and direct. He was right there building and getting his hands dirty. What a great example to the people. What a great example. So all the tricks of the enemy failed. They continued to build the walls and continued to get the gates. But for some reason, our enemy is shrewd and he's clever and he never really takes no for an answer. You really defeat him in one area and he begins to come around and he attacks from another area. He's always trying something else. He's got a pretty, he's like Felix with his bag of tricks. He's always got a lot of different tricks in his bag. He always looks for another tactic that he can use to keep us from accomplishing that which God has called you to do. God has called each of you with a purpose. He's called each of you for something to do, something to serve him. He's called you with that. It's your job to seek him, pray, read his word, and find out what that is. But God will strengthen you and help you do this. But he never stops doing that. He wants to keep you from doing what God has chosen you to do, even confusing your mind. I really don't know what God wants me to do. No, God has a perfect plan for you. Sit before him and listen. Read his word and study, and he'll show you what it is he has you to do. So that's what he's doing here. When the outside attacks don't work, trouble from within. When the outside attacks cease to work, he always starts to work inside. He always starts to do his dastardly deeds inside. The main weapon he uses here in chapter 5 Selfishness. The main weapon he uses against the Jews is selfishness. Selfishness. He loves to get people thinking about themselves. He loves people thinking that they are so great that they need to always think about themselves, only about themselves. And they can only talk about themselves. And when they're finished talking about themselves, they say to you, enough of me talking about me. What do you think of me? They always want to talk about themselves. Getting us to think about what is good for us, not what is good for others, not what will benefit the entire body, but what benefits us. It doesn't matter what anyone else needs. It's all about me. Me. Come on. You've seen TV. Ever see anybody standing there and going, I want to be number two. Nah. Everybody wants to be number one. Selfishness needs putting yourself at the center of everything and insisting on getting what you want when you want it. If it means exploiting others, so be it. Selfishness is not only wanting my own way, but expecting everybody else to want my own way too. That's selfishness. If Satan cannot defeat you from his forces from without, then he seeks to wreck you from forces within. Many times, the greatest enemies of the church aren't the atheists of those godless forces outside the church, but is actually the church itself. Fractions within the church, and usually the thing behind it, jealousy. It springs, and usually from greed. Oh, the church is being blessed more than we are. And the tragedy of infighting goes on within the church. Can you imagine that? Church people arguing? Hmm. And church people argue, who bleeds? Christ. Christ bleeds. Christ bleeds. Now, as we come to chapter 5, we see the depth 
of the sin in the human heart. Selfishness is directly against Jesus' command to love our neighbors as ourself. Paul, the great apostle, spoke about this in his book of Philippians. When in Philippians 2, in verses 3 and 4, we've talked about this many times, but it's applicable here today. Ephesians 2, verses 3 and 4 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others, being others-centered. It all begins in Jerusalem with a great cry. A great cry is heard. Let's look at verse 1 through 5. And there was a great outcry of the people and their wives against their Jewish brethren. Notice that. It was against their Jewish brethren. Jews fighting against Jews. For there were those who said, we, our sons and our daughters, are many. Therefore, let us get grain that we may eat and live. There were some also who said, we have mortgaged our lands and vineyards and houses that we might buy grain because of the famine. There were also those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our lands and vineyards. Yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children. Indeed, we are forcing our sons, our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have been brought into slavery. It is not in our power to redeem them. For other men have our lands and vineyards. It's interesting that in verse 419, the work of rebuilding the wall was called by Nehemiah a great work. But in the midst of the great work, there comes this great outcry, this great wailing towards Nehemiah. The cry is difficult is the Jews aren't crying against the Samaritans. They're not crying against the Amorites. They're not crying out against the Arabs, all the ones that are surrounding them, threatening to kill them. They're not crying out about them. They're not crying out about them. They're crying about what's happening again. They're crying against their own people. They were crying out because they were being exploited. What made it even worse, it was Jews exploiting Jews. So we get a glimpse of what's happening here at the end of verse 3. There's a famine in the land. There's a famine in the land and they don't have food. So people are mortgaging their lands. They're mortgaging their vineyards. They're mortgaging their houses to buy food. Let us get grain so we might live. Some of them have even lent money to those in need. And they're charging enormous ushery. Ushery is simply interest. They're charging them great interest. So now there's this crisis situation involving four different groups of people. Number one, the people who owned no land but needed food. There was indeed a famine because of the increasing population. Many, many people were coming back after the captivity. More and more were coming every single day. And now that Jerusalem's walls were being built, they felt secure. They felt safety. So they wanted to return to their homeland. And they were being granted exile from Babylon to come back to Jerusalem. So more and more people are coming, and they're hungry. They couldn't feed all the people because of the famine, and they couldn't help themselves. So what do they do? They cry out to the leader for help. Nehemiah, help us, help us. 
Also, secondly, there were landowners who had mortgaged their properties to buy food. Inflation. It seems that this inflation has caused the price of food to go up. Hmm. Being in debt and inflated prices was wiping out people's savings. Hmm. Sound too familiar to me. I don't know. The third group, group number three, complained because of taxation. The taxes were too high, and they were forced to borrow money to not only buy food that they needed to survive, and they had to pay enormous taxes on it. But in order to borrow the money, they needed security or collateral. So they put up their houses. They put up all these kind of things. And then they started even putting up their sons and their daughters, putting them into servitude. Because at that time, if you owed money, you could go into servitude to work it off. Now remember, these were Jews against Jews. The brethren were fighting amongst each other. This was not a happy time. But according to Deuteronomy 23, all of this, the ushery, the taxation, the loaning of money and all, was against God's law. It was against the law of Moses. It was okay for Jews to lend Jews money, but they were not allowed to charge interest. They're not. Why? Because the people and the land belonged to who? God. They were God's people. He didn't want them to use each other for personal gain. They were belonged to God. There's a lesson here. How did God want them to treat each other? In what? Love. Amen. God wanted them to treat each other in love. He wanted them to show love one to another. Why? So that other nations would see it and they would come to the Lord. God always wanted Israel to be a light to the Gentiles. He always wanted Israel to shine the light of him and make him known to all the nations. But they refused. They didn't do it. But Nehemiah, being the leader he is, I love this guy, he responds. Let's read verse 6. And I became very angry when I heard their outcry in these words. Wow. Nehemiah became angry. Now, some would think, oh, if he's angry, he must not be a man of God. Because he got angry. It's one thing to confront a foreign enemy of the nation, but it's entirely different when you have to deal with your own people when they are fighting one to another. It's hard to come between two people that you love, that you know, who are quarreling and arguing. Imagine Christians fighting one another. As Nehemiah solves this great dilemma, he shows great leadership. I love this guy. He shows great leadership. His first response, anger. This is not sinful anger. Scripture says, be angry and sin not. It doesn't say we can't be angry. That's an emotion. You're going to be angry at certain things. It's an emotion. What you do with that anger, that is the key. But what's happening here is an expression of righteous indignation. They were going against God's law. They were sinning. They were sinning. Love wasn't being shown according to God's law, according to his word. He didn't ask what was popular. He didn't ask for the safe answer. Instead, he asked, what is the right thing to do here? Let's look at the law. I love this about this guy. I have an aside here. It's tough being a leader. It's tough being a leader. Because whenever a leader makes a decision, someone's going to be upset and not agree with the decision that the leader makes. leader has to make many decisions. You would hope that the leader is praying and being led by the Holy Spirit to make the decisions that they make. You would hope that. 
But there are many decisions have to make. And you are all entitled to your opinion about decisions that are made here at Calvary Chapel. But what you're not entitled to, unfortunately, is when you dislike a decision, is to go around the room and find others who don't like the decision and gather together people who all now don't like the decision that was made. You know what that is? That's divisive. That's division. And the Lord has an extremely dim view of division. What you need to do is pray that the leaders would make the right decisions according to the Holy Spirit and would follow the Holy Spirit. And as long as the leaders aren't telling you and causing you to sin, that just simply means that their opinion to do something is different than yours. So be it. It happens all the time. You're entitled to your opinion. That's just my aside there. We need to be very careful when it comes to division and divisive spirits. We need to be extremely careful. We hope that we are all following the Holy Spirit. However, as a leader, be the first one to tell you, I'm a human, and I will make a mistake. So hopefully I will recognize that mistake and be able to correct it and rectify it and pray. So that's why we always pray for our leaders and pray for the people who are seen to be over us. Nehemiah was a great leader, and I learned a lot from Nehemiah and his leadership skills. He was an incredible leader. He knew when to go to prayer. He knew when to encourage. He knew when to lift people up. And he also knew when to act on the word of God. And many times in this church alone, our leadership has had to make tough decisions. Decisions that might hurt one person or another. But we always tried to do it biblically. We always tried to keep the biblical mandate before us and keep personalities out of it. It's extremely hard to do. But that's what we try to do. Nehemiah was a great leader. What these wealthy Jews were doing was sin. And Nehemiah's anger was against their sin. And he knew he had the law on his side. Nehemiah knew he had the word of God on his side. This is why we must confront sin. Sin must be confronted. I love what Paul told the Galatian church in chapter 6 of the book of Galatians, he says this, the verses 1 through 5. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own burden. We need to be careful when we confront sin. It has to be confronted. Before we confront sin, we need to look at our own integrity. The scripture says, take the tree out of your own eye before you remove the speck in your brother's eye. I always like to say, take the railroad tie out of your eye before you remove the speck in your brother's eye, which means you need to look at your integrity and your life and your things if you're exhibiting the scriptures as what needs to be done. And then you can go to your brother. And then you can go to your brother. You are a sure 
You've been listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank. Pastor Dave is making his way through the book of Nehemiah, a book that follows Nehemiah and his exceptional leadership as he guides the people in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Nehemiah followed the lead of the Lord, and it's clear he was in God's will as he prepared to go and received blessing and favor from the king. But once he steps out to go, he encounters trial after trial. Have you ever noticed that following God looks like that? You know you're supposed to go, but when you finally step out in faith, that's when the attack of the enemy seems relentless. You can take that as a sign that you're headed in the right direction. Let the enemy's attack move you to greater faith. We're so glad you joined us today. The book of Nehemiah is filled with wisdom for life and leadership in a broken world, and you won't want to miss a moment. If you've already missed one, that's okay. You can head on over to our website, assurehoperadio.com, to pick up the ones you missed. There's also a link to our live stream on Facebook and YouTube. Assure Hope is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Cape May, in Cape May, New Jersey. If you're in the area, stop by and see us. You can find all the information you need, including directions and service times, on that same website. Don't forget to head over to assurehoperadio.com. There's so much more waiting for you there. Well, thanks for coming today. We've come to the end of our time together, but we'll be back next time with more from Assure Hope.